Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wellness Wednesday podcast from the Rolf Pancreatic Cancer Foundation. Each of our episodes are recorded from our live events, so if you hear references to slides or visual resources, you could find links to them in the show notes. You can also find the full episodes on our Wellness Wednesday page at rolffoundation.org or watch on Rolf's YouTube channel. We hope that you find today's conversation to be informative, inspiring, and educational. And above all, we hope you feel connected to our community. We are in this fight together. You are not alone. Welcome back to Wellness Wednesday, where we share practical wellness tools and techniques from experts on the topics that are most important to patients, survivors, and caretakers alike. I'm Erin Kuhn Krieger, and I'll be moderating this afternoon's session, The Genetics of Pancreatic Cancer. What do you need to know? But before we get started, I wanted to say thank you on behalf of the entire foundation for the generous support that we received in last month's Dashing Together virtually event. We are thrilled to announce that we raised almost $160,000, which will go toward Ralph's mission of research, resources, and support for the patients, survivors, and their families affected by pancreatic cancer. We once again saw the strength of our community and truly could not do it without you. Now a couple of housekeeping items before we get started. Please ask questions throughout the session in the comment section below, and we'll get to all the questions at the end of the presentation to make sure that we get to everybody. Today's speaker is Dina Goldberg. She's a licensed and, excuse me, she's a licensed and board certified genetic counselor located in Los Angeles. So I'm gonna let Dina go into her impressive credentials, but I did wanna share that she recently left her clinical role to work full-time on DNA, Dina DNA in order to spread awareness of medical genetics through media and marketing techniques not typically used by the medical community. Welcome, Dina. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this today because it's something I'm really passionate about. So let's jump right in. Um, okay, let me share this. Okay, all right. So um, today we're gonna be talking about the genetics of pancreatic cancer and what you need to know. Now the first question I wanna answer just to get it out of the way because I get this so much is what is a genetic counselor? And before I answer this, uh, you should know that most doctors and other healthcare providers get very basic, if any, genetics training in medical school and genetics is always changing. Whether it's our knowledge of genetics or the way that we incorporate it in healthcare, it changes every few months and so Genetics is the future of personalized medicine, and any healthcare team working with genetics really needs someone who understands this ever-changing field. And that's where genetic counselors come in. So the roles of genetic counselor is that we stay up to date with not only the latest research and recommendations, but also with genetic testing and which laboratories are offering which genes at which prices to get you the most affordable and appropriate testing. We translate complex information to patients, as well as communicate with healthcare teams, and we do all of this in a way that is ethical for both patients and their families. So it's the only specialty of medicine that we're not just taking care of one patient, we're taking care of the whole family. So hi, I'm Dina, and I'm a genetic counselor. I formerly was the Gordon and Betty Moore Endowed Counselor of Hereditary Gastrointestinal Cancer Prevention at UCSF in San Francisco, where I was a member of the UCSF, uh, UC Pancreatic Cancer Consortium and did research in pancreatic cancer and pancreatitis. And I recently 
um, as Aaron said, left my role there to uh, pursue my personal brand full time because I realized that there were a lot of people that didn't understand medical genetics. And um, I hope to one day have a television show to teach everybody about it. So my social media is here. Feel free to um, Instagram, tweet, or even uh, add me on TikTok. Okay, so what did you all come here today for? The pancreas. But what is the pancreas? Well, the pancreas has two main functions, and those are digestion and regulating blood sugar levels. And to do this, there are things called glands or different systems of, of the pancreas. The first is exocrine, which produces enzymes that combine with bile for food digestion. And this is released into the digestive system. And then endocrine, and this is our hormones that get created by the pancreas. So insulin and other hormones that control blood sugar levels and are released into the bloodstream. So the pancreas really is doing two different things to the digestive system and the bloodstream. And the reason this is important is because when we think of the word pancreatic cancer, it can actually mean any of these things. Now, most of the time, it's referring to an exocrine type of pancreatic tumor, which is the majority of tumors, over 90%. And most of those are what we call pancreatic ductal adenocarcinomas. We call them PDAC or PDAC. And that is most of the time what people are referring to when they say pancreatic cancer. But there are other tumors as well. And much less common, there's something called a pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor or a peanut. And the reason this is important to know is that the prognosis, the treatment, and the genetics are very different depending on which type of tumor someone has. So that leads me to my first tip, which is if you are being evaluated for a personal or family history of pancreatic cancer, try to get a copy of the pathology report to share with your provider. Because as I said, it's really important to know the difference. Um, okay, second question, what causes cancer? Well, when we look at it from a genetics point of view, we know about 10 to 15% of all cancers are hereditary and about 20% are familial and the rest are sporadic. But what does that mean? Well, sporadic cancers are the most common and this is when we see a, a more common type of cancer in an individual at an average or older age for that type of cancer and there's usually no family history. These are usually caused by environment or some sort of exposure or lifestyle, so like smoking, chemical exposure, radiation, things, things that we just don't know. Um, sometimes just some bad luck. And then we have familial. This is when we have two people in a family with similar cancers at uh, average or older ages. And this is likely due to a, a mix of shared genes and environment together. So there's no one factor that causes these. It's really multifactorial. And then we have hereditary. This is when we see multiple generations of cancers that may go together with a certain syndrome at a younger than average age for those types of cancers. And this is where my job comes in to try and figure out if a family fits this pattern. And the, the reason we wanna know this is because these are caused by single gene mutations or genetic changes that cause disease that get passed from parent to child. So what are cancer genes? This is something that we hear a lot. I see it all the time in the media. And in every cell, we have about 20,000 genes. And a handful of these genes are called cancer genes. But surprisingly, cancer genes, oh, sorry, what, what a gene does is it's a recipe for a protein. So 
any gene we have, whether it's the, the cancer genes or any gene, just creates this protein. And when there's a problem in the recipe or when there's a change, it may create the wrong protein or no protein at all. So that's really the basics of what genes are and what genetics is. So cancer genes, surprisingly, are good genes. We need them to protect ourselves from becoming cancer. The issue is when there's a change in those recipes and that gene can no longer function, it can no longer protect ourselves from becoming cancer. So that's when we call cancer genes, um, they're good genes. So when we think about the way our genes are passed down, we get two copies of every single one of those 20,000 genes. We get one from mom and one from dad, and when we have children, we pass one of our copies and our partner passes one of their copies. So when we talk about sporadic cancer, so most people are born with all of these cancer genes working correctly. Now, as we get older, the mechanisms that keep our genes in check may just randomly stop working. And so let's say this person over 30 to 40 years acquires a mutation in one of their co one copy of one of these genes. That's okay because there's a backup copy. So that cell that has that faulty gene now still has the other copy that can do its job. But then another 30 or 40 years goes by and a second mutation happens. Now that cell no longer has that protection and may become a cancer. Now, that is what happens with most cancers. Um, now let's imagine somebody has a mutation that they're born with, so they actually inherited it from one of their parents. Now that first, the, every single cell in their body will have that first mutation, and so that first 30 or 40 years goes by, and they acquire their first acquired mutation. Now that cell, because it didn't have a backup, may turn to cancer in less time than if they had born with, been born with two working copies in all of their cells. So this is really uh, the way that hereditary cancer works. It's very simplified, it gets a little more complex, but I think it's a really good way to kind of think about it. So when we talk about the chance of somebody inheriting one of these mutations, it doesn't, not everyone will inherit it even if you have a parent with it because they're still a good copy. So uh, every time a, a couple has a child, when one parent has a mutation, there's a 50% chance that uh, each child will inherit the change and a 50% they will not. And anyone who does not inherit it will not be able to pass it down. So if you don't have a mutation, you can't pass one down. They don't skip generations. So when we talk about genetic testing, a lot of times when I used to have patients that would come in, they'd say, oh, well, I already had genetic testing. My oncologist ordered it for me. But there's actually two types of testing. And one is tumor genetic testing. And that is when we look at the tumor to, to look for any changes that cause that tumor to become cancer so we can target the treatment for that tumor. But it doesn't tell us how that tumor became a tumor. So we don't know if that person was born with a mutation or they were born with two working copies. And so what we do is something called germline genetic testing. That looks at someone's blood or saliva to be able to tell what their genes look like to begin with in their healthy cells. And that can be done on individuals who don't have cancer. So that's that's how we can predict if somebody is born with this risk versus the tumor testing needs to be done. It can only be done on a cancer tumor. And so the germline 
genetic testing not only helps us figure out the cause of a cancer, but also may find risk for other cancers associated, may find risks for other family members and what they're at risk for, helps us, it may change a treatment plan um, and gives us clues on how that tumor may develop and what the behavior might look like. So there are two different types of genetic tests and today we're really gonna focus on germline. So germline testing, as I said, is done by blood or saliva. And when we talk about the different results that we can get, there's a positive, and this can be confusing because most people think positive good, but positive in genetic testing means that a mutation or pathogenic variant, meaning disease-causing change, that affects the protein being made by the gene was found. So that's what positive means. Negative means that that all of the genes that were looked at were just normal copies and we know the, pro the correct protein is being made. Now sometimes we have a new copy of a gene that we haven't seen much before and we don't know if the correct protein is being made or not. So we call this a VUS or a variant of unknown significance. And so many times when people test, they'll have a few of these. They don't really mean anything. Most of the time they get reclassified. So we really only take action when someone has a positive path is positive for a pathogenic variant. We don't really consider the VUSs. We consider them kind of more like negatives. Um, although we watch them over time because as more and more people are tested, that variant may become normal variation because we learn more or it may be reclassified as pathogenic. So it's another reason to keep in touch with a genetic counselor who can update you if you have any variants. So when we talk about risk factors for pancreatic cancer, I'm sure this group knows all of this already. Smoking, pancreatitis, alcohol, obesity, diabetes, these are all risk factors that um, aren't necessarily in our control. And some of them are. Um, the smoking and alcohol, but the uh, genetics is a big risk factor as well. And sometimes it can be a bigger risk factor than any of these others. So when we talk about the different syndromes for pancreatic cancer, the most common one people know about because it is um, the most frequent is this one we call HBOC or hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome. Really, it's not a great name because it really involves pancreatic, prostate, and melanoma cancers as well. And this is the syndrome caused by mutations in the genes BRCA1 and BRCA2. And of note, uh, those who have Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry, which means European Jewish, one in 40 will have a mutation in one of these genes. And so whenever you fill out a questionnaire, when it comes to genetics, you're always gonna be asked if you have Ashkenazi ancestry and this is why. So the most common cause of pancreatic cancer in somebody who has Ashkenazi ancestry is usually from a mutation in one of these genes. Uh, the other syndrome is Lynch syndrome, and this is one that I specialized in at UCSF, and this is caused by a mutation in one of these five genes here, and it's actually, um, it also increases risk for colon and uterine cancers as well as several others. And then we have something called FAMMM, uh, which is when somebody has many melanomas and moles and also pancreatic cancer. So when you hear about the link between melanoma and pancreatic cancer, it's usually because someone has a, a hereditary genetic change in one of these genes. And then there's something called Pitts-Jaeger syndrome. This is a lot more rare. 
but it has a very high risk for pancreatic cancer. And then PALB2 is one, is a gene that was discovered later on after BRCA1 and 2, but really is in the same pathway. So it mimics uh, HBOC in many ways. And um, a lot of people who were previously only tested for BRCA1 and 2 went back and got tested for PALB2 and, and many of them were found to have a mutation if their family history looked like that. So um, these are all of the main syndromes and there are more too. So um, these ones at the bottom are also really important genes and there are several others. Now the reason I have MEN1 in purple is that that is actually the gene associated with the PNET, so the endocrine type of pancreatic cancer. Uh, and PRSS1 is associated with hereditary pancreatitis. So there are families where we have a lot of people that we're seeing with pancreatitis and then others who didn't have this pancreatitis but got pancreatic cancer. So the thought is maybe they had some underlying pancreatitis. So that is something that uh, we also want to include on our panels. So this is a good idea of what we test for. Now the reason that we want to test all of these genes is because all of them have recommendations that would change medical plan, both for the patient and for the relatives. And those might include earlier or more frequent screening tests. So I'm sure you've heard of endoscopic ultrasounds and MRIs for pancreatic cancer. And then there are many others for the other cancers involved. And medications for prevention, lifestyle changes, and sometimes surgeries to remove organs that are at very high risk. Um, now, all of that is this is a big discussion that will be had with a genetics genetic counselor or other genetics provider or healthcare provider, and it's really a, a shared decision that gets made. So another reason it's really important to have this information is that in recent years, the the whole targeted and precision medicine cancer uh, fields has really evolved. And one of the th things that we talk about is PARP inhibitors, because this is a type of treatment that actually preferentially kills cancer cells that were caused by BRCA mutations um, and people who have a, a germline BRCA variant. So this is something, and that and they've selected over normal cells. So it's really exciting um, that it, it's very, it's been proven to be very pretty successful. And then immunotherapies, this is when we can prime somebody's natural immune system to fight the cancer cells that are caused by uh, mutations such as those in Lynch syndrome. So people who have Lynch syndrome have a better reaction to this type of therapy. So uh, it, it's really important to know this because it actually may change someone's treatment. So then who in a family should get tested? So now I'm gonna teach you how to think like a genetic counselor. So let's say this man comes in, um, he's 62 and he's recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and this is his family history. This is a chart called the pedigree that we use to look for patterns in the history. So let's say that his son comes in and to get tested because he's worried about his risk for pancreatic cancer. Well, we could test his son but if his son is negative, it doesn't tell us why he's negative. It's good that he's negative for all these uh, pancreatic associated genes, but we don't know if he's negative because he inherited his father's normal copy or if his father didn't have any mutations to begin with. And so what I would say to him is if his father, if we can, if we can test his father, we'd like to do that because his negative is what we call an uninformative negative. So again, it's still good, we know it's negative, but it, it's not complete, it doesn't tell us the whole picture. So who do we test? We 
I would recommend testing his father because he's the one who's most likely to have a mutation if there is one in the family. And we would test him with something called a multi-gene panel. So it used to be that we would only test one gene at a time, but now we, it, because of the cost of testing and the technology, it is much faster and more cost effective to test many genes at once. And it's really helpful for individuals who may previously have tested negative for one or two genes. Um, and as more genes are found over time, they're added to these panels. So even someone who's tested five years ago or three years ago, there may be some new genes that are, have been recently discovered and we're added to the panel. So it's a good idea to kind of keep in touch with your genetics provider to make sure your panel's up to date. So uh, the let's say we test his father and we find that uh, he does in fact have a mutation in BRCA2, let's say. Well, that's actually great now because we know exactly where that genetic change is and we know exactly who is at risk. So we can then test each of his first degree relatives who are each at 50% risk. And anyone who is negative in this case is called a true negative. And that's because we know what we're testing for and we know that that person didn't have it. So this is when we can really figure out who is and who isn't at risk. Now, of course, you know, in pancreatic cancer especially, many times the person who has had the cancer is no longer uh, testable, they're no longer living. So the next best thing to do is to test all of the first degree relatives because if this person was negative, well, we still don't know, again, if there was something in the family. So we would want to test anybody that might have a mutation. So let's say we test hit this this man's aunt and the sister of the man who had the cancer and she's negative. Okay, great, but we still again don't know. So at this point, we would be recommending that or we would we'd assume that these people have a slightly increased risk because they have a family member who's been affected. So we test more people. And then finally we test the brother and he actually has mutation. So now at this point we know, okay, that most likely came from dad. And what we can do is test mom. And if she's negative, we know for sure that that came from dad. And most likely that's what caused the cancer. So at this point we know who is truly negative and who's truly positive. So this is kind of how we think about it when we're working with the whole family. Um, and so if let's say everyone's negative, well, it's it's more likely that there probably wasn't a mutation just because it is less common to have one. Um, so we would screen based on family history and not on genetics. So that takes me to tip number two. If you're meeting with any genetic counselor or provider to determine your risk for any cancer, try to get any genetic testing results that anyone in your family has taken um, because even negative results, they're just as helpful as positive. And we wanna know which genes have been tested for. And so if you are having issues or your doctor's having issues actually ordering testing or getting it covered, the most recent National Comprehensive Cancer Network or NCCN guidelines actually indicate that anybody with exocrine pancreatic cancer at any age should be offered germline genetic testing. And below it actually says um, that affected or unaffected relatives should also be offered it. And they, it, it's recommended it's a first degree relative. And then there's also something that says that there's significant benefit to family members in testing patients near the time that they're diagnosed. So that brings me to my research that I did at UCSF. So typically uh, when somebody 
is diagnosed with the pancreatic cancer because the prognosis, they're typically diagnosed later and the prognosis isn't as good, we don't get a great uptake of genetic testing in these, this patient population. So we looked at the traditional model and then we developed a new model. And we were actually able to, we called it the genetic testing station where we were able to test people when they were diagnosed. And we had a huge increase in the number of people that were tested. And so that actually gave us uh, a good kind of look into the amount of people that would test positive. And what we found after doing a really large germline panel is that 11% of all of the people diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, regardless of their family history, 11% of them had a mutation in a gene that had NCCN guidelines for medical management. What that means is that one in 10 people we tested their medical plan changed because of the genetic test that was done. So this is more, uh, you know, proof that this is, it's really important. It can be really important both for the patient and the family. So just a few points to remember, having a mutation in a gene, a cancer gene does not mean you have cancer and it does not guarantee you will ever have it. It just means that you have a higher risk for developing it. This knowledge can help you be more cautious and catch anything early so it doesn't become dangerous. And most people who do testing, who undergo genetic testing will not have a mutation. Remember before we talked about sporadic, most of these cancers are sporadic. They're not associated with an inherited mutation. And even if there is one in a family, there's really only a 50% chance that the first degree relatives will get it. So most people will not have one. Um, and then genetic counselors, if you do have one, are your go-to to help you understand what that means and work with your doctors and make sure that you're not lost and confused. Now, something I get all the time, these questions are insurance and coverage. Is this gonna be covered? So before I go into that, I just wanna note the Affordable Care Act prohibits insurance companies from using pre-existing conditions to affect coverage. I know because of the current political environment, that might be something that it's something that people are tend to be worried about. But there's also something called GINA, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. And this is a, uh, an act that's there both at the state and federal level. It helps prohibit um, health insurance discrimination based on genetic tests results, and that's for uh, health and employers. Um, and so that really protects somebody. They can't uh, be denied insurance if they have a mutation. And the test itself will be covered by commercial insurance, Medi Medicare and Medicaid, if somebody fits the NCCN guidelines, which is everybody with pancreatic cancer. And they will also cover any screening. So if somebody has a mutation and they need screening or they need surgeries, well, insurance will cover it because they have that mutation. So in a way, it's a ticket to get those things covered if you can show that you have one of these mutations. So if you are interested in seeing a genetic counselor, seeing someone like me in a clinic, go to findageneticcounselor.com. This is a really great website where you can find somebody to speak to. Um, right now, it's all telehealth because of... Uh, our pandemic, um, which is also, it's it's great to be able to do that. And they can actually send you a kit from home if you need to get tested. And I'm um, really excited also to share that um, we've given the, the family intake form a facelift and it's now uh, this really great, beautiful form that uh, you can look on the Ralph website. So now I will take any questions.
Oh. Sometimes it helps if we unmute ourselves, yeah. especially after being on uh, on Zoom calls all the time. Anyhow, uh, Dina, that was amazing. I love how you broke down such a intricate intricate topic um, into things and and ways that people can understand in in an easy, accessible way. So I, I greatly appreciate that. We've had some a lot of questions coming in, so I want to get to them. We've had some that come in through the chat and some of, of folks who have emailed to us. So our first question comes from Rachel, who's asking, how do we decrease our chances if we have familial cancer? Yeah, yeah. So familial cancer would be that, that middle category where we aren't sure all of the things that cause um, a, a cancer. And so when we talked about those risks on that, First, on what, that page I have with the smoking, the alcohol use. Um, so, so quitting smoking is a big one to decrease risk, big. Uh, alcohol use, really limiting it if possible. Um, exercising, as much as you hear this from your doctors, exercising and um, having a, a healthy diet are really important. So really the whole lifestyle thing is, is very important and trying to avoid, um, you know, situations that you might be exposed to, to strange chemicals, which doesn't come up often, but really just putting yourself in a good situation with a good lifestyle is going to be the most helpful. Great. Jeff is asking if I have only one family member, his father who had pancreatic cancer, is that sporadic or familiar? Yeah, yeah. So we don't know, because there is a, a large amount of um, pancreatic cancers that like I said, one in 10 that may have one of these mutations. Uh, we, even if we don't see a family history for pancreatic cancer, we still recommend testing. We, st we don't know if it's sporadic or familial or, or hereditary at that point. Um, most of the time, if it's a different type of cancer, so one that is more common and less often genetic, such as lung cancer, we can say that that's sporadic. But when we talk about pancreatic cancer, it's more often, um, it's more it's, it's we can do more if it's hereditary so it's better to really test to, to see if, what it is okay great here's an email question that came in in many studies it shows that black americans are the demographic with the highest risk for pancreatic cancer what role do genetics play in this yeah um that's a great question so when we talk about someone's ethnic role with the exception of Ashkenazi Jews, because there's a the founder mutation um it's really a mixture of environment and genetics together. So cultural, the things people do, the things people eat, the way people live, um, socioeconomic class, their access to healthcare, and also the shared gene. So not just one gene, but all, all these different genes that act together um, that people of the same ethnic group may share. So all of that together may increase a risk for a type of cancer. Great. Okay, now we have um, from Alyssa, um, and Alyssa, thank you so much for, for sharing, and I'm, I'm very sorry for your losses. My father died of pancreatic cancer in, in 2011, and my mom currently has metastatic leomyosarcoma, and her sister died of leomyosarcoma last year. I underwent germline genetic testing last fall and have variants unknown, of unknown significance mm -hmm. in my APC and ATM genes. My genetic counselor told me to watch and wait. Is there any screening that I should undergo in the meantime? I was most concerned about the ATM variant and its possible link to pancreatic cancer. Yeah, um, unfortunately, it's really hard when we find variants because 
most of them do get reclassified as benign. So uh, it's looking at, as a genetic counselor, we, we have these tools where we can look at the variant and really um, sometimes just from experience, we can tell, okay, this is this particular change in this particular part of the gene. And sometimes we'll combine the clinical picture and maybe depending on the situation, there may be some recommendations, but more often than not, we don't make any recommendations and it is unfortunately watchful waiting. Um, the one thing I would say to that is, uh, you know, I don't know the situation, but what I would do is look at that panel if a patient came in this question, I'd want to look at what genes were tested. And I'd also recommend testing other people in the family to see if maybe someone else comes up with something positive that and then that we would know if someone else had something positive that those variants mean nothing, right? Because we found the answer. Okay. Um, but I think it's hard to really answer that question without really looking into a few other things in the family. Okay, thank you. Are we close to identifying other genes that could lead us to earlier diagnoses? Um, yes, I think every year there's new discoveries. So as I've been working, I mean, I worked at UCSF for the last four years. As I was there every year, the, a few times, it was even maybe not even just once a year, maybe twice a year, we would update the number of genes on the panel. Um, and I think the whole chronic pancreatitis, those genes may possibly be associated um, with pancreatic cancer. And another thing we saw is that people with that had pancreatic cancer had higher rates of being carriers for cystic fibrosis, so the CFTR gene, which we know has function in the pancreas. So that's something that is also being studied across the world right now. Okay. As well. So when, uh, Sherry wrote in that she has three or four risk factors. What what next? What should she do? Yeah, um, I think it depends. Those risk factors, if they're non-genetic risk factors, it would be helpful to meet with a genetic counselor and see if there are genetic risk factors because sometimes the genetic ones kind of trump all the others if they're high enough. Um, so if there are no genetic risk factors, then it's really working on what the risk factors that you have are and um, kind of looking more into those. Okay, great. And on the genetic counselor front, um, you talked about um, find, findyourgeneticcounselor.com. Um, and is there a high quality, a low quality? Are there concerns? I, I mean, are, are all genetic counselors <laughs> created alike? Um, what, what should you Yeah. Well, you know, it, every genetic counselor has to go through the board certification process. They all need to go through training and rigorous um, clinical rotations. It's the same thing as any doctor. I mean, you'll have some doctors that you like and some doctors that you don't like. And maybe it's not a match for you, but it's good for someone else. Or, you know, some doctors may just not be good doctors. It's the same thing. I mean, it's we're all human. So I think that... Um, the, the process of becoming a genetic counselor is the same and it is rigorous, so it is difficult to become one. Um, but I, I think that you have to think of it like you would think of any provider that you're going to go see. Sure. How far back in our family tree should we look to determine the cancer risk? Yes, typically when we uh, take a family history, it's usually mostly first and second degree relatives, sometimes third. If it's further back than that and there's no other um, closer relatives with cancer, you have to think about how much genetic material do you actually share with those people, right? If, if they're distantly related, you didn't most likely grow up in the same place, you weren't exposed to the same things, and you only share probably a small percentage of your genes. So the further away that somebody is in your family tree, the less likely you share the same risks. Okay. 
So that's why we really mostly focus on first and second degree relatives. Okay, great. And some follow-up questions on the genetic counselors. Um, one is there is there a genetic counselor in Chicago um, that you would recommend specifically on uh, pancreatic cancer? And Paul, I could let you know that um, at Rolf, we work with Christine from the University of Chicago. Um, but Dina, if you have any additional um, folks that you could recommend, that would be yeah. great. Yeah, so I'm part of something called the Collaborative Group of the Americas for Inherited Gastrointestinal Cancer, or CGAIGC. They have um, a directory. So I think it's cgaigc.com, something like that. And uh, anybody that's part of that is really, um, it's a very niche, cutting edge research organization. So if you really want a genetic counselor that's really involved uh, with at a national level, then it might be helpful also to look on their website, to look at their directory. Great, and so they would have the access to the most modern testing and, and research and things that are out there right now, correct? I, I'd assume so, yes. Okay, great. Um, Gail's asking, if I'm an Ashkenazi Jew and my mother died from pancreatic cancer at age 84, the only relative I know that died from pancreatic cancer, should I be tested? Yes. Um, any Ashkenazi Jew, really what I say, even if an Ashkenazi Jew doesn't have a family history of cancer, they, there's three variants in BRCA1 and 2 that all Jews kind of... Um, that because there's so much shared ancestry that one in 40 will have. And so even when there's no family history, I always recommend someone who's Jewish get tested at least at the very least for those um, few. But then when there is a family history, there definitely it's helpful. Plus the panel, just to make sure. That's great, that's great, thank you. Are there any questions that um, you typically get that have not been answered today? Like how often should people get tested on? Yeah. Yeah, so um, typically, I think another reason it's great to test with the genetic counselor is because you can keep in touch with that person. And you can call what I used to tell my patients. And now that I'm gone, there's someone that took over those patients. But what I would tell them is to call me every two years and just say, hey, are there any new genes? Can you look at my family history again real quick? And it doesn't take that much time to just open it up, look at it, see what was tested. And you just say, actually, yeah, you know, we didn't test you for probably two you should come back in or you know something like that so um so i think it's worth kind of keeping in touch and just asking your genetics provider every few years if there's updates um, and it also is for the variants the vus's that i was talking about those get reclassified every year as well and so um it's worth asking about yours to see if there's more new information on those great so Paul's asking, if my dad and his brother both passed from pancreatic cancer, does that mean more risk for my siblings and me? Well, yeah, so the mo because you have more, when you have two people who had it, um, it, it is a little more risk than one person, right? Because then that's telling us that there's something they shared, whether it's environmental or genetic, that we don't know if you share, if the rest of the family shares. And so that is definitely a family that I would recommend that everyone undergo testing. Okay, great. How about the 23andMe kits and, and the kits yeah. that are out there? How are they? That's what I was just going to mention. So um, sometimes I'd have patients that would come in and say, oh, I've been tested. I did 23andMe. But that is absolutely not a medical test. Uh, the way that that technology is done is it only really looks at very specific points along random genes. There's only the only one that's even related to pancreatic cancer is BRCA. And the only thing it looks at are the three points that are common in Ashkenazi Jews. And that even itself is not really a true medical test. 
So uh, that is great for entertainment, but it is not a test. And it says everywhere on the site too, it is not a medical test and should not be used for medical decisions. Um, so any at-home genetic test that you do, for the most part, if, if it does ancestry, it's not a medical test. That's great to know. Any other um, insights that, that folks should know? And, and um, if you want to share again where, where people can find you? Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, so I forgot to put my email on there, but it's just um, Dina at DinaDNA.com. Uh, or you can find me on social media as well. Feel free to uh, send any, send me an email or if you have any questions. Um, but I, I really recommend if, if you even are thinking of doing testing. Oh, for, oh Dina DNA. Dina Dina DNA.com. Yeah. Um, if you are even thinking of doing any testing to try to find a, a local genetic counselor, um, and it, it'll just make it a lot easier for you. Great. be able to do that. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge in such an engaging way. Um, we'd, we'd like to encourage everyone to go to the website that Dina was talking about on the Rolf site, which is knowmyrisk.org, to fill out the form, um, fill out the Know My Risk worksheet, and connect with a genetic counselor near you. We also have a link to, um, to be able to find genetics counselors on the site as well. And we wanted to thank everybody here uh, for watching and asking such insightful and vulnerable questions. We know that there's a lot that is behind this and, and we truly appreciate your um, asking and sharing so that we can help everybody within our community. And if you're catching this on the replay, um, welcome. And uh, be sure to write replay in the comments and mark your questions so that we can get back to you. And also, if you have any ideas for future Wellness Wednesday um, topics, speakers, please email us at info at rawfoundation.org. And check back for an update on next month's Wellness Wednesday topic and speaker. And until then, we hope you stay safe and take good care. Thanks again, Dina. Yeah, and I have just one more thing to add, too. Sure. That um, there is no such thing as a stupid question. Um, for anyone, this is a really complex subject. So even if you feel like, oh, this should be obvious, it's not to most people. And so if you um, are worried about asking something, you know, in a form like this or a um, genetic counselor, just, just ask it. Just ask it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you again. Um, and we look forward to seeing everybody here back next month. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review because it helps people find us. Ralph Pancreatic Cancer Foundation provides personal support to those affected by pancreatic cancer through tailored resources, connections and education, and funding for early detection research. To learn more about Ralph Foundation, please visit us at ralphfoundation.org or call 773-989-1108. We'll see you next time.